Hello once again to all our regular listeners, and if it's your first time finding us, a very warm welcome to Four at the Back. It wasn't meant to be. Uh, England came closer than they've come for generations of winning a tournament, and you know I think some of us are happy with that, and for some of the rest of us, well, I think it's the classic case of it's the hope that finally kills you. There's three of us here tonight, I'm joined by Joe and Maz, and we're going to quickly talk through what happened in the game, and we're also going to pick our teams of the tournament to to wrap this one up for for the year maybe if i just quickly give a quick rundown on what i thought lads and then you can maybe take over and react from, from what i say uh i got the impression that the italy were the better team i think we were deservedly kind of beaten on the balance of play and you know the actually taking it to one all was not a bad result for us based on how the game went i don't think it was massively so i thought that a hundred minutes was basically played when you add the two periods of, of stoppage time and of that I think Italy probably shaded about 60 give or take of those minutes uh, I don't think either side really looked like winning it much in extra time and each side probably had about 15 minutes or so each so you can kind of write off extra time as, as much of a spectacle to be honest with you of the time that Italy were winning I thought that they only really outclassed England for let's say the moment where the substitutions came, which was about 55 minutes in until about the 75th minute when England finally adapted and got a handle on on the game. But it was too late by then. And for about 20 minutes, Italy were far and above what England were playing. And that really is, for me, the only bit that I'm really overly critical about or, or fussed about is that it took so long to make a change when... England had dropped too deep. Italy just had the freedom of the park and you knew an equaliser was coming. And if it hadn't been for Jordan Pickford, who had a great tournament in the end, that could have got out of hand in that 20 minutes. And in the end, we'd be quite fortunate to take it to extra time. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, you're not far off there. Uh, How will I see it? I think fate kind of played its hand a little bit, to be honest. You know, an early goal like that in what would be a cagey match, it... You know, I said at the time to Joe, you know, it's the type of thing that's good if we don't sit on it. And I don't think we did too much in the first half, not excessively. I think the first half pretty much played out as it would be if we hadn't scored that goal. We may have had a little bit more of the ball. You know, obviously Italy came out a bit more impressed, a bit more than they they would have at nil-nil. But I, I don't think that goal in the first half affected either team's game plan an awful lot. However... I don't necessarily think it was intentional. Look, I don't think we set out in the second half to go and sit on that lead. But I think Italy realised, well, we can't let them sit on it now. It's the second half. They Their half-time talk would be, we've got to get at them. And we didn't want to overextend. And it ended up us just being sitting back, sitting back, sitting back. And the personnel seemed a little bit wrong at that point. And... We really were hanging on. We weren't really having anyone to break it forward. And I think that was the point, you know, I was saying to Joe, we need Saka now. We need Saka on for Mount was the call that I, I wanted to make at that point. And then when they scored and I didn't think it was actually Saka that we needed at that point when we scored, but that's when he brought him on. I I, I would have thought that when we made those changes, it was probably Sancho uh, was the more ideal and again, certainly not Grealish in, in an attacking role, but more in that central role. But, you know, uh, Southgate played a fantastic tactical game throughout. 
And if if we hadn't conceded that goal, it might have gone all the way. And like you say, you know, we were under the caution a little bit for a few minutes after the goal, but even then, it, it, we still never looked like losing the game. And you know, it was like you say, half and half in in extra time. We had a good period in extra time where you thought we we might have actually nicked it in normal time because you know. We, we never really wanted penalties, did we? You know, we we wanted to get it in in normal time or extra time. I, I guess the argument is, while Italy had, yes, more of the positive, you know, more of the positive play in the game, I think that's fair. You could argue they were a better team throughout. We were winning it for a lot longer. And that's probably the reason why, why Italy were. So, you know, it was a... A tense one, and I think I was always going to say at the end of it, even if it came down to penalties, unless one team was significantly better than the other in that final, that the team that won it deserved it. And unfortunately, it comes down to a minor thing like penalties. But, you know, you, you couldn't begrudge either team as worthy winners. I think it was... Um... It was the first time that South sort of second half <clears throat> half game hadn't really paid off. Like I, I think if if you'd said at the start of the game after seventy minutes it would be one one, you'd have been pretty happy with that. Um, I think the fact that we took such an early lead and we were kind of we, you know, we started the quickest. We had we did have other chances in the first half, but um, or at least we looked we, we looked threatening in the first half at times. The way we we backed off in the second half, I I don't think. It was necessary. I think the plan was to kind of get to 70 minutes and you know be no worse off the level, and then throw and go with Grealish and and Saka or Sancho or whoever fitted the bill at the time. But unfortunately, none of the substitutions really seemed to work. I think Henson had a shocker. He looked well off the pace. Saka didn't really have the impact. I think we were hoping he would do. Grealish, I don't think had the influence that that we would have liked him to have. And then obviously towards the very end, uh, Rashford, who probably had the most effective run out on the field into at right back, his most effective two minutes of the tournament. And then obviously Rashford and Sancho coming on to take the penalties. Were they brought on early enough? Did, could they really sort of get a feel for the game, the atmosphere, for even kicking a ball, having not done anything for two hours? You know, you could you could argue that one way or the other. If Rashford's penalty goes in, things could end up very differently and with, with what two inches yeah the difference width. between between the width of the know, death or glory literally that not even that um so yeah i i think ultimately the luck was going to run out and actually the the best team won the tournament i've got no problem admitting that i think italy were the best team in the tournament i think it would have been a travesty and i think all around europe they would have been proclaiming it as a travesty if Italy had not won. It's heartbreaking for, for England. But this is a young England team. If Southgate chooses to stay on, they've got a man who knows how to how to communicate with them and knows how to get the best out of them. And we also have a coach who is prepared to learn and prepared to reflect on what he's done previously to try and improve. And I've got no doubt if he does stay on until Qatar, he's going to go away and... and and look at how he can unlock some of that attacking talent because we've never had more attacking talent in this country than we do right now. 
so yeah, I, it, mixed mixed feelings about the the result, um, but quite optimistic for the future, I'd say. I mean, you know, on Southgate, I really really hope he he stays on to Qatar and beyond right now because what I think he's done which is highly noticeable and you know people are going to question his tactics and you know there may come a time a couple of bad tournaments and I think okay that's that will be his downfall if if he doesn't do it however what he's done for the team's spirit I think is is huge he's got a bunch of guys who are already you know, kind of like Rio Ferdinand was saying, you know, footballers have always done this, but it's only now in the social media era that this is being reported. But, you know, whether that plays a part in it or not, a distinctly more likeable group of players than we've ever had. Better group of players? No. Individual talent? When it comes to individual talent? No. Not at all. When when we go back and look at the golden generation. But, you know, that golden generation, there was not a lot of likeable players unless they were doing things for your club. You know, that, that group of guys, you know, none of them came across as particularly likeable. But, you know, we we know what a lot of the, these people are doing in their communities now. We see what a lot of them are saying, seeing how they are in, in real life or on social media. And, and it is very, very easy to get behind them. What Southgate has done with these players is, you know, he's brought them in and he's cutting those club divides. And, you know, he, he's brought a team together. He's brought a real team together who are playing well together. United and City centre-back partnership. Arsenal and Spurs combining up top. You know, it, it's just every, everywhere seems to be working. And, you know, I've, because of this, because of what's happened and obviously a bit of the backlash and stuff like this, I've never felt... You know, I actually feel a lot closer to to clubs that I historically despise, and I feel quite close to their social media right now. You know, I'm sure come August that'll all be out the window again. But you know, I think so much of that is down to Gareth Southgate because that level of management, that level of empathy he has for the players, uh, I, I think is big. And you know, I. I I had a thought the other day uh, when, obviously, you know, a lot of talk going on and, and Grealish came out following... Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a criticism came out about, you know, Grealish and Sterling should have been taking penalties, this, that and the other, and, and Grealish came out and said, no, I offered. I, I'm just wondering if maybe it's that trying to protect his, his players that's cost Gareth here, because... Maybe he's thinking back to 96 saying, well, I I stepped up. Maybe someone should have stopped me and got someone who would be a better choice to take that sixth penalty. So, you know, has he actually done that? Has he just said, right, it's you, 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 rather than going out there and seeing who really wants it? Yeah. Have you seen the video? No, I've not seen the video. There's a video um, that someone managed to capture of Southgate going around the process and and it just shows that last minute or so of him like going to the penalty takers and he goes to Sancho, talks to him, goes back to a coach and like debates with him for like 20 seconds or whatever as they work it out. And 
then he goes up to Saka and asks him, and you can see just in the background, Grealish is kind of there, and he sort of like expects to be asked. Pick me, pick me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's got that kind of look, and and then there's kind of like, a, oh, okay. I, I think it'd, it'd be really difficult to overrule. Like, to, like Roy Keane was quite insistent, and I could see Roy Keane doing it, but I actually think, what if you did say, no, you can't pick him, and either you were then ended up missing, or everybody scored, and the kid who's just been told he can't take one, then has to take one anyway. I mean, I think there's it's a whole can of worms. It is, but it's coming from experience. It, you know, no, very few people have been in that situation that Gareth Southgate's been in. So, you know, was it the best choice when you look at it? I guess if you say the proof's in the pudding, it's definitely not. I was immediately very critical and obviously protective of, you know, our teenage protege who was suddenly taking the fifth penalty in in the biggest game of his life at the age of 19 and who I believe has never even taken a, a professional penalty in, in, in his life. Oh, However, yeah. no, but, you know, we're talking about a, a squad that have Champions League winning captains, a guy that's played so many games like Kyle Walker, who's versatile, Grealish, who's got all the talent in the world. Sterling, who's one of the most elite footballers in the world. And I'm not saying that one of those had to take it. What I'm saying is, should it be a 19-year-old who who was on the fringes, who was barely getting any first-team football until the start of this season? And, you know, I, I think in the light of day, the answer is always no. And more importantly, a 19-year-old who... He's on a good run of form for his country and got dropped for the final to the bench, may I add, and brought on and then asked to take a penalty. You know, however, however, what we've always got to remember is that a penalty shootout is always a crapshoot. And if Southgate's choices had paid off, you know, like you say, Joe, if Rashford's penalty had gone a couple of inches the other way and one of the other Italy players had gone a couple of inches the other way, Saka step it up and maybe score in the winning penalty the final of the Euros. So it's a crapshoot at that point. As much as mental strength and everything like that plays a part, I'm not going to be too critical of Gareth Southgate there because he's made a decision and that decision is clearly, clearly driven by what he went through in 96. And that's understandable because so few people have done that. But I also think knowing Gareth Southgate, Next time around, if we're in a penalty shootout and he's still manager, I think you'll learn from this experience as well and try something different. I think that one the point about Saka is that he has been treated as an equal in this squad. Like, I don't think his age comes into it in terms of squad. Sure, if you miss the penalty, the fact that he's so young, it, it, it kind of changes your opinion of it slightly. But actually, he's there on merit. He was picked for those games on merit. The decision to drop him was a tactical one it wasn't made because of his performance it was made because of you know the, the way that Southgate wanted to set up tactically and the option was to either drop Saka or Sterling and there was only going to be one winner when we talk about fine margins Harry Maguire's penalty has got one more degree of trajectory on it it's going into into the stands so you know he was ju- he was just as lucky to take out the, the camera um, as Rashford was unlucky. And then the narrative changes, doesn't it? I, I, I suppose we're, we're never going to know exactly what was said. 
all I can imagine is that all of these things are so meticulously prepared these days. They'll have been practicing penalties since day one of the camp, knowing that you know there's a there's a fair chance it's going to come up. Um, they'll have been uh, you know analysing who, who the best penalty takers are, who are the ones who are most likely to score. Saka, as you say, big confidence at the moment. And this might well you know burst the bubble a little bit, but I, I, you know I I was backing him. I was sat there thinking you know I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been surprised if it went in. Finally, Donnarumma is an absolute monster. I can't imagine, like, imagine having to stand up against him knowing all of that's on your shoulders, for, for any of them, really. And the two penalties that, that did go in for England were two of the best penalties you'll ever see. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is a monster of a man, Donnarumma, as well, as you say. when With all that on the line, regardless of your age, that must be a daunting prospect. I, they're not the five penalty takers that I would have chosen. In, in all honesty, but what I kind of thought as as he stepped up, even though I, there was a moment of raised eyebrow with that, it's Gareth Southgate won't have chosen this at random. It will be based on all that kind of data that you you just been talking about there. And I've got a few things wrong that he's been vindicated by in the tournament. And if this is the one that you know he finally gets wrong, as it were, then you have to kind of take your hat off and say they're not all going to go your way no no 100 percent. and like i say you know i don't he's made a choice and that choice hasn't panned out but that choice could have easily panned out because you know it, it really is that close pickford's made two great saves donnarumma's made two great saves in in that in that shootout and rashford's hit the post if you know rashford scored and one of theirs has hit the post it's gone the other way and you know i I think when when you look at that, you know, it, it, it is, there's always going to be an element of luck. And as much as you look at data and statistics and who's better at taking penalties, when it gets to, when it gets to a shootout with that level of stuff on the line, you know, there's something else at play there. I think uh, there's been a lot of other stuff that's made the news in the subsequent days. It's all been quite depressing. This is a football podcast and we aim to be generally kind of uplifting. So we're not going to go too much into that. I just wanted to, before we moved on, take a moment to say that, you know, collectively missing a penalty doesn't mean that we don't, are not have not been thrilled by this England team and these young players. And we stand with them unequivocally and not remotely got any sympathy with any of the other people who have brought our game into disrepute in the subsequent days and on the day of the final itself. Now, with that said, uh, let's move on to something that's hopefully a little bit more enjoyable to talk about. We do like an 11 on this podcast, and we've been putting together some team of the tournaments based on the, the few great weeks of football that we've had. The only rule in place, I believe... Otherwise, I may have got this wrong, uh, is that you can only pick one per team or one per national squad. So you have to choose your Italian very carefully. I think it's you, safe you can to have say. four right backs. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, shall we go through this position by position, shall we? So we start out with goalkeepers. Maz, do you want to go first? Yeah, I um, see it's funny here. A lot of this made itself when I started to look at the teams that, that got to a decent point in the tournament. But for me, uh, when you consider it all, I mean, you know, realistically, the best goalkeeper in the tournament, it, 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 it's really a coin flip between 
Donnarumma and uh, Pickford, isn't it? When you, when you look at it. However, my goalkeeper is Jan Sommer for that fantastic performance he he, he had against France. That's a pretty good shout, I would say. I didn't think of him, if I'm honest with you. I went with um, with the Finland keeper, Radecki. Oh, same. He was, good choice. Good, he, good choice. He, he was definitely. Absolutely, he was absolutely fantastic in the group stage, and you know, I think the best goalkeeper of the tournament was Jordan Pickford. Um, I don't say that as a proud Englishman. I'm a Newcastle fan. He's uh, he, he came from the from the enemy, but he made key saves in every single um and bar a sort of a mad sort of five minutes in the semi he looked composed he communicated well uh he was alert throughout the throughout the and even though he wasn't called on particularly often when he was he was he was he was he was great uh, Rodetti was much busier two, i was just going to say he made two he let in two goals all tournament and one of them was immediately after a world-class save yeah, exactly. So uh, the other one I considered for this was Schmeichel, um, who again was was outstanding against England and had been brilliant throughout the tournament, and also was you know probably one of the men of the tournament in terms of what he did in the opening game against Finland. But uh, no, Rudecki was 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 outstanding, and picking him to go in goal meant that I didn't have to waste my. Uh, my Italian pick on uh, on Donnarumma. It does keep a few other options open because, you know, the Finns overachieved at some level in this tournament, but I think there's probably other places that you might want to use your uh, your outfield players. So, uh, as I say, I, I had exactly the same pick. So, should we move on to defence? Right, I, I've gone with the formation that the champions have played, the, the formation uh, that the runners-up sometimes played. Oh, I've gone four three three. My back four. Oh, right. So I, I had to get my guy in at right back, Denzel Dumfries. Uh, apparently, Everton bound the rumours are today. I think they're getting a good, good player there if they can snag that. I think uh, if if the rumours of Bellerin leaving this year are are true, I think Arsenal should have been a lot quicker on that that train because. He, he looked something special. He did really well for the Dutch in in those games, well, certainly in the group games. Uh, I don't don't know what happened in that in that second round, but uh, the Dutch are going to Dutch at some point, aren't they? So there, left back. I've gone for one of the right back left backs who was actually a bit more of a left midfielder. This is actually the country that I struggled the most to to pick someone for because. I could have picked at least five different people for many different reasons. And for a long time, I actually had uh, Simon Kerr in there just for what he did as a leader for Denmark, because I think that's very, very hard to overlook. <laughs> Amazing. And, you know, he probably deserved it. But I've gone with Marley. Marley? Morley? Morley? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Mela. Mela. Yeah, there you Mor- go. But, you know, he, he was... <laughs> fantastic down that left side for for Denmark a lot of the tournament he's popped up he grabbed a goal or two and peach of an assist uh, for Dolberg with that outside of the foot cross you know if you're going to play someone with like one foot in the wrong on the wrong side of the pitch you know if they can do that it don't really matter centre halves might raise a few eyebrows uh, when I decided uh, to not use care I actually 
found myself because I only wanted to use one actual centre forward. I found myself with a few teams to find a centre back for, and um, we're talking Germany, and I passed, and we're talking Portugal, and you know, based on this tournament, you wouldn't believe it was uh, Ruben Diaz who was teaching John Stones, certainly. And so I've gone for Thomas Vermaelen. Bit of good old Arsenal love yeah. there, you and know. I, I thought, yeah. For, for his age, for a team that was full of attacking flair, I I, I think he stood up well in in, in that defence. And so uh, I've got Vermaelen at centre back, and I've played him alongside Italian centre back, Chiellini or Benucci. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've gone with Chiellini. Do you know why I've gone with Chiellini? The personality. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I think the fact that Benucci was in, if you've got to look at it purely on what they did in the tournament, the fact that Chiellini was so strong that he scored the equaliser in the final and tucked his pen away, you, you've got to say Benucci. But, I mean, man, Chiellini, what a beautiful, beautiful centre-half that guy is. From his anthem singing to his antics to his smiling with uh, Jordi Alba before the penalties to, you know, just how pleased he seemed to be there from that ridiculous pullback on Saka. But, you know, I, I wish I could put both of them in. I really, really do. But, yeah, just Chiellini, just for the fact that he could now captain this team. So I've gone with four at the back. Four three three. So at my centre backs, uh, I'm going with David Alaba of Austria because uh, he was just a lot of fun to watch, mainly playing in that sort of libero role. Um, and John Stones, uh, who I think was quietly the best defender in the tournament, didn't put a foot wrong. On the left hand side, I went with uh, Joachim Mahler of, of Denmark, like Maz predominantly based on that outside of the foot assist for uh was it was it Dolberg? Um yeah, Dolberg. in the quarterfinal. Oh mm-hmm. what filth. a boy. Pure filth. Just like he's in this team of the tournament for that. But I forget what Spinazzola did. That all day long. Um and on the right hand side, um bearing in mind that I thought I'd already used up my Dutch option and I probably would have gone for Dumfries otherwise. Um, or Kyle Wall, even though I criticised him for half the tournament on the show. Uh, so I went with uh, Joshua Kimmich of uh, of Germany. Mm. Uh, One of the, the better examples of a midfielder shifted out to the wing. Well, I've been set free for mine by the idea that they don't have to play together in any real game. So uh, this might sound a little bit chaotic, but I'm just going to ask you to um, embrace the chaos. Uh, we're going with a 4-3-3. Denzel Dumfries... Who incidentally sounds like he should be playing for Ross County to me. Um, then Steven the Zuba. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steven Zuba of Switzerland at left back. Then uh, David Alaba of Austria. And Simon Kier of Denmark. So uh, how much time Kier will spend defending on his own might be quite interesting. <laughs> I, I think he'll whip them into shape, to be fair. I mean, as you said, there's reasons that he's got to be in just for kind of uh, leadership things, if nothing else. And he would have uh, have my captain's armband, I think it's fair to say. I think he'd spend most of the game shouting at no one because there'd be no one else back. 
<laughs> yeah, I hope you got a good defensive midfielder in there, Pete. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but I should I go first then with um, <laughs> with with the midfield because uh, the the man sitting just in front of them, I've used my Italian pick. It's going to be Jorginho. And then rounding out my three-man midfield, we're going to have Paul Pogba and uh, Torgan Hazard of Belgium. Okay. I mean, Hazard had a decent tournament, didn't he? Well, a couple of decent games. Pogba was magnificent. So magnificent that I picked him too. I'm magnificent in a what was otherwise, apart from one or two players, a failing team, to be honest, which just magnifies the achievement, in my opinion. I mean, I, I, some of the passes he was pulling out and that got against the Swiss to go 3-1 up was just utter filth. Yeah, I, so I, I picked Pogba as well um, and I put him alongside Pedri. Oh, that's a pick. And mainly for a semi-final performance. So, you know, I, I, for, for an 18, well, we, we talked about sort of Saka having so much his shoulders at 19. Pedri's 18 years old and he absolutely bossed. He had a 100% pass completion in the 90 minutes, which is just nuts. Um, in in a European Championship semi-final um, against one of the best pressing teams in the world, he, he was fantastic. So for my, for my, my third, I was going to go with a, with a Dutch midfielder, um, which I can't quite decide between Frankie de Jong and Georgino Wijnaldum. I think I'm going to go for de, de Jong on balance um, to, so he can sort of sit back and let, uh, let Pogba play a bit, uh, a bit further forward. OK, so we're fixed. Maz, what have you got in the middle of the park? Um, I think unsurprisingly, when you look at France, uh, I've also picked uh, Pogba. I very briefly had Griezmann in instead, but it didn't last long. I had Pedri in for a long time, and then uh, I just realised who I was, and I dumped him for Busquets. Uh, <laughs> and then I dumped Busquets because I'm like, right, no, I, I need a little something else. So uh, alongside Pogba, I've gone with Sinchenko and Forsberg. I've got Sinchenko in because I just felt 11 players, you've got to get one from at least all four quarterfinalists in there uh and he did have a very good game in a different position that he plays for uh, a very good tournament in a, in a position that he doesn't normally play for city in, in that more central midfield role where he, he's obviously their main man and you know it showed he, he led them to the quarterfinals of the tournament so i think fair play to him there emil forsberg who's uh who scored some absolute bangers and had a really good controlling game in in that attacking midfield for for Sweden throughout the tournament and yeah so so Pogba Zinchenko and Forsberg are my trio. I will say that uh, I've also taken Forsberg, but I've taken him because uh, he was playing on the left quite often of a, of a very Swedish four four two. Whereas I've taken him pushed for, further forward to the the left side of the attacking trio in a four three three. As I've said that, I might as well round mine out. I've taken Raheem Sterling on the other side as my English pick, and down the middle I have one half of the Golden Boot winners, Patrick Schick. The half that didn't score all of his in penalties. Yep. <laughs> right, I have gone for. I've gone for Schick. I went for Romelu Lukaku, and because I absolutely love watching him play, I've gone for Insignia. 
which is a bit out, which is a bit out there. And he's definitely not the best Italian player, at, you know, in that squad. But when he was on it, he was absolutely on it. It was a, it was a joy to watch. And oh, that, the goal he scored, it was like the Pogba goal, but on the run was insane. It, it I is don't think it. that's out there at all. No, no, it's, yeah, no, no it's I think it's fair enough. You, you could you could have picked Insigne, you could have picked Chiesa, you picked either of those two as an attacking option for you. I did, I did actually pick Chiesa at one point. I thought no, I, I prefer Insigne. I think that, you know, there were times in the tournament where he, he just wasn't at it and particularly sort of later on in the tournament, he, he sort of went missing in games a little bit. Um, but when he was when he was firing, he was absolutely unplayable. And it is worth adding as well that he did as much as anybody in that 20 minute spell where Italy made England look like a schoolboy team to contribute to that. Now, Chiesa did all the eye catching stuff. But if you look at who the tactical change really involved and what he was doing between the lines to make all that stuff happen, you could really argue that actually Insigne won that for them. So, I mean, whatever he did going quiet when kind of uh, he would be out on the wings in some of the other games, he came good when it mattered. And I think it's worth mentioning here that, it, that the player of the tournament was crowned as Italy's goalkeeper. I've picked an Italian defender and agonised over which one. You've picked an Italian midfielder, Pete, and, you know, uh, probably the one that was f- far ahead. But, you know, Locatelli had a great start to the tournament and, you know, Verratti had a great tournament yeah. and Barella wasn't, <laughs> was no slouch either. No. And, you know, Joe's picked an, uh, an Italian attacker and, like you say, could have easily picked Chiesa instead. Mm. You know, I, I think that, that, that does say something. Yeah, I mean, picking Immobile would have raised a few eyes, but almost anybody else in that kind of first team would have been, uh, yeah, fair enough, I think. And and on top of that, before he got injured, um, Spinozola was probably the player of the tournament at that stage. Yeah, you'd have thought he was nailed on, wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, it's left back's been a, a bit of a tricky position, hasn't it? Uh, there's been a few good good performances in in that left side of midfield or left back role. To, uh, just to uh, back to your strikers before we move on to Mazes to round it off. If you're going with Schick and Lukaku and Insignia, does that mean you're imagining them more as a kind of classic 4-4-2 type strikers, but with Insignia playing as a number 10 rather than one of them out on the wing? Well, I, I would. you could play it as, either way. I think you could you could play it with Schick as the, the, the number nine, so to speak, and Lukaku out on the right, Insignia on the left. Or if you wanted to switch things up, you could you could play the, the Lukaku and Schick up front and have Insigne in that sort of free role. All right, then, Maz, uh, just three more places to go. Take us home. Uh, until I went with good old uh, 45-year-old Thomas Vermaelen, I actually had, uh, I was debating for a very long time whether I could play Schick and, and Lukaku up front together or whether I could, you know, sneak in, uh, you know, De Bruyne, who was obviously nowhere near full fitness at any point in that tournament, yet still he's a world-class enough player to be able to influence some of those games or even, you know, the other hazard in a more advanced position. I guess like you've done with Forsberg. But in the end, I've gone with Schick as my centre-forward. Sterling, I think, was always going to be my, my English pick. Uh, on the left wing and I think had we won that penalty shootout he probably would have been the player of the tournament no he wouldn't have I know how UEFA and FIFA go Harry would have got it 
Harry Kane would have got it, I'm sure. But um, Sterling on the left, which uh, left me with the right. So my whole um, my whole Pedri Busquets debate became uh, totally pointless, and I went for Fernand Torres, who you know not the most uh, standout player in this tournament, but I thought he had a very good tournament for the Spanish team and looked looked a good prospect. So I've put Fernand Torres on the right. Okay, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, lads, do you just want to run through your teams one to eleven? Uh, no explanation. Once more, to uh, for the sake of clarity. Yep. Uh, so summer, Dumfriesen, <laughs> Mali, Mali, Malay, uh, as me fullbacks, uh, Chiellini and Vermaelen, as my old man said at half. Oh my God, they, they need Carl Walker bail them out don't they <laughs> Pogba, Zinchenko and Forsberg in midfield with Fernand Torres Sterling as my wide forwards and Schick through the centre screw you Ronaldo <laughs> so I've gone with Hradecki in goal Kimmich, Marla, John Stones and Alaba in defence uh, Paul Pogba um, Pedri and Frankie de Jong uh, in midfield, and then up front, we've got Lukaku, Schick, and Insigne. And I've gone with Lucas Radecki, Denzel Dumfries, Steven Zuba, Simon Kier, David Alaba, Jorginho, Paul Pogba, Torgan Hazard, although I'm starting to think maybe I should have gone with Pedri, and then Patrick Schick, Emil Forsberg, and Raheem Sterling. So that's it. It's been a great tournament. Just spoiled a little bit at the end, but we're going to try and stay positive. And the World Cup is in a year or so. And as we said, Gareth Southgate is nothing if not capable of learning from from mistakes and so on. So we will be back. We are going to take a little break, though, because we've obviously been had a feast of football lately. We've got some great stuff coming up in season three that will be coming out in a few weeks time. Uh, we're going to have some more great sides and some more plucky underdogs from the history of the Premier League. We're going to look at La Liga for the first time, and we may even bring you an episode on some World Cup winners. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, Until then, thank you all very much for listening. We hope to see you again soon.